listening to First Church Charlotte. All right, all right. God bless you all. We are in Mark chapter number 20. I want you all to know how much I appreciate you and I love you in the Lord. I know you miss me singing the song, Have I Told You Lately That I Love You? And so I don't have time for that, but I'm going to tell you again that I love you. And it's my privilege to serve the Lord with you. Uh, We aren't perfect uh, individually or perfect as a church, but we are sincerely walking on this journey. And we are seeking to do the mission for which God has placed us here. Can I have a big first church? Amen. All right, we are in chapter number 11 in our survey of the Gospel of Mark. We are reading at verse number 20. Now, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree. Last week, we talked about the fig tree and the cursing of the fig tree, and it had dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he asks. Asks. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And I want to read at verse number 27, or excuse me at verse number 25, and when you stand praying, somebody say and when you stand praying I want you to see Jesus is linking what he's about to say with what he has said earlier about faith. I want you to see that. Don't rush past it. He gave you a insight about faith, and now he's going to give you something that is associated with that. When you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So I'm going to talk about the power of faith and the power of forgiveness. And I'm going to do like Jesus did. I'm going to show you how they are linked together. Together. So I'm going to say in Jesus' name, God bless you. You may be seated. All right. So since our ladies are going to be very busy this weekend and they're going to have a lot of church uh, between now and Sunday, which is wonderful because if any group in the church needs more church, it would be the ladies uh, that need more. See, that's right. A, mm, yes. See, unity in the spirit. Uh, <laughs> love you guys. You guys are awesome. So um, uh, I'm going to try to be concise tonight and save some of you guys' attention budget for uh, Sister Granquist. She's going to do a wonderful job. So we have here two things presented by Jesus in this very short week that we are now standing in. This is the week of the Passover. I want you to notice that the book of Mark is very much weighted toward the end. It's as though the first uh, many months of Jesus's ministry, three and a half years, so to speak, of Jesus's ministry is told in the first uh, 10 chapters of the book of Mark. And then the last week of his ministry is placed in a much more detailed presentation. And from chapter number 11 on, we're literally looking at the last week of Jesus's ministry and the themes that 
come out of that week. And so really starting from two, two or three Wednesday nights ago where the disciples were astonished when Jesus actually did what he said he was going to do and go to Jerusalem and they were in awe that he was going to go and thus face his own execution in Jerusalem. That was the beginning of this week of ministry, this week of passion, this week of purpose uh, being compressed into just a few days. And so it is that this second half of the book of Mark has so much import and so much weightiness to it. Uh, It is literally the week of our Lord's passion. And so I want to remind you of that. And of course, they they come out, they see the fig tree that the Lord had cursed uh, earlier. We talked about that last week. Actually, not last week, but the week, not last week I taught, which was two weeks ago. They see this, and now they see the result of this. They see this tree withering. And when they're surprised, Jesus takes a little while to talk about faith. And he gives us almost a sermonette on faith. Now, we have to know, as mature believers, that the Bible has a lot to teach us and show us in this realm of faith and in its related realm of prayer. Why do I say that? Because there are some people who only want to refer to this place in the scripture of speaking to the mountain, and they want that to be all the Bible has to say about prayer. They want that to be all that Jesus has to say about prayer. And we, of course, set ourselves up for misunderstanding when we do not apply sound doctrine. Uh, I believe the easiest way to think of sound doctrine is when you have a doctrine that is interpreted not simply by one passage or one interpreter or one speaker or one preacher, but it is sound because it is established according to the precepts that the Bible places upon truth. In other words, the first of them that would come to mind is in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Can I have an amen? Every great doctrine of the Bible has multiple confirmations in multiple errors, not errors, but eras, and in multiple prophetic presentations, it is sound doctrine. You can build upon it. Uh, Paul mentions this also when he refers to uh, the establishment of doctrine and the like, and in one place uh, in the English, the ESV version, uh, interestingly enough for you Bible nerds, um, the ESV is the theological standard of action. Accuracy. If you go to any seminary, almost of any uh, background, uh, they will all refer you to, if you're doing theological uh, studies from the original, they all want you to use the ESV. Uh, I think, I think, whatever, who knows, I'm not a scholar enough to have an opinion about that. It's just interesting. In the ESV, it says, uh, in this passage I'm refer to, referring to where, where Paul says, uh, no individual prophet gets to interpret his own prophecy. And I I was reading it here recently, and I was astonished by it. It gets back to the same principle of in the mouth of two or three witnesses. You don't get 
get to pick one scripture and say that's all the Bible has to say about a subject. But we let scripture interpret scripture. We want to rightly divide the word of God. Can I have an amen? We're a, we're a, we're, we want to be a truth church, right? We don't want just to be an opinion church. We don't just want to be an angry church. We want to be a truth church. And so rightly dividing scripture, what does that mean? It's literally, literally rightly dividing scripture is when you put things together that go together. False doctrines come when you put things together that don't go together. Do you see? I'll give you a real quick example for your uh, chuckling pleasure. Uh, Judas went out and hung himself. Go and do thee likewise. I've just put two scriptures that don't go together, but I've put them together. A lot of error by good people. Not all of these people are bad people trying to wake up in the morning and say, I want to lead people in false doctrine. No, they're good people. Uh, But if they do not take care with the scripture, they end up putting things together that don't go together. We have to be careful even with direct applications of Old Testament context into a New Testament context. What do I mean by that? Well, a life Elijah killed 450 prophets of Baal. You don't get to do that. You see what I'm saying? Now, you can stand up and say, Yea, behold, verily, I have the ministry of Elijah. But the moment you kill somebody, we are locking your ignorant hide up. You see what I'm saying? And so you can take, I, I saw, I, I knew one guy on the internet who was the harshest guy I had ever seen. I knew him from Bible school. The harshest guy. He would say the ugliest, harshest things on Facebook. And, um, and of course, he would offend people and cause these huge uproars. And he loved it. You know, he just sat back and ate popcorn. And um, he had tried to pastor, but, you know, it's hard to pastor if you don't love people, if you just want to cause fights. And so everything he touched dried up from the root like the fig tree. And uh, when he was a cost by his bad attitude, how angry and ugly he was with people, he said, I have the ministry of an Old Testament prophet. That was his excuse. To which I said, brother, there is no more opportunity for Old Testament prophets. All job applicant positions have been filled. You, there's no, we're not taking any more applicants for Old Testament prophets. You do not get to kill 450 uh, prophets of Baal. Try this for a New Testament context. There's two themes so important that they get whole chapters in the New Testament. One of them is faith and one of them is, one of them is love. How about trying some faith and then trying some love? Uh, He didn't want to hear that. But anyway, you can't help people. J.T. Pugh taught me that. (laughs) You just have to keep on going. So uh, here, uh, we want to get this right. So Jesus, he is giving us a picture of faith. He's given us a picture of spiritual authority. He's given us a picture that is literal. Jesus often taught in this way. He gave us an image of a literal, which we understand in the spiritual. That's called a parable. The kingdom of heaven is not a rich guy who leaves some servants with money. No, the kingdom of heaven is like a rich guy. Who Do you see that distinction? So we are taught themes of a spiritual nature in terms of literal images. Do you see? Literal images. So if you feel like you're called of God, I'll never forget when I first got felt the call of God on my life. Let's say I had said, Lord, I'm going up to the Appalachians. I'm going to Mount Mitchell. And if you're really calling me and you're really upon me and there really is a work you want to use me to do, I'm going to say to Mount Mitchell, get thee hence and be cast into the sea. And if Mount Mitchell is still there, then I'll know I'm not called. 
Do you see there's a spiritual truth here that is being imaged. It's being illustrated with a literal expression. I don't ask any of you to go to Mount Mitchell. We have more important spiritual mountains that need to be thrown into the sea. You see. And so uh, although this gives us a picture of faith and we see this as a picture of faith, we see other pictures of faith too. Jesus gives another picture of, of faith with a woman who is going to an unjust judge and she keeps knocking and she keeps knocking and she keeps knocking and she keeps knocking. Hear me church when I say somebody who won't quit believing is just as much a faith warrior as someone who has an instant miracle and shouts all over the house because of it. You need to get a hold of that because there's going to be in your life moments where something happens in an instant but so much of our life is going to be day after day. I speak to this mountain and I get a shovel full and I put it in my wheelbarrow and I take it to the sea and the next day I speak to the mountain and I get another wheelbarrow full and I take it to the sea. Sometimes it is a mountain in an ocean, and sometimes it is a, wo- a little woman knocking at a door saying, I'm here again, and I believe, I believe, I believe, and I claim, and I claim, and I claim, and I believe, and I believe, and I believe, and I claim. Don't you think that just because you don't have an instant mountain going to a sea that you're not a faith warrior? You are just as much a faith warrior when you're the person who will not be denied. Oh, hallelujah somebody as you are the person who has a glorious moment of breakthrough and so uh, Jesus gives us this beautiful example of faith I love faith I love preaching faith Uh, I don't always enjoy living faith Uh, That can be the difficult part, you understand? Uh, I like singing faith. Oh, I love faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. I can sing me some faith. I can preach me some faith. I can get the mahas going. God's going to do it. And the church gets fired up. I love it, but then you have to live it. Somebody say live it. All right. So y'all forgive me real quick. I'm going to live it here. Is that okay? Can we live it here for a moment? All right, so let's live it here. Nobody knows I'm doing this, darling. Forgive me. She just found out she has to have surgery again. I don't know if you want everyone to know, but I don't care. Uh, She's had, how many surgeries have you had on your leg? She's had 11 surgeries on her leg, and the doctors have just told her that she's going to have to have uh, at least one, maybe two more, because it, there's problems. And so we're going to speak to this mountain right now. I want you to extend your hand right here toward Antonella, and I speak healing into your body by the authority of Almighty God. I claim it. I stand not upon any goodness of the flesh. There's none there, Lord, but I stand upon the Scripture, and I speak as you instructed us to this mountain and I speak healing into this body in Jesus name somebody say I receive it somebody say I receive it for her we rejoice with you right now alright I have one more I want to pray for Sister Nicole. Sister Nicole's having some health challenges. I don't necessarily want to get all in your business or everybody know your business, but she's having some faith, some health challenges. The doctor has given her a negative report, and um, they're trying to 
put, okay, the doctors told her she has breast cancer, and um, we are going to speak to this mountain right now, because the Bible told us to do it, so I want you all to extend your hands right now toward my sister, and we're speaking to this mountain in Jesus' name, by the authority of the Word of God, and by the power of the name of Jesus, I speak healing into this body. I speak it not by any effort or ability of the flesh, but I speak it by the authority of the name of Jesus. And I ask that you would intervene gloriously for your name's sake. We will give you glory, and we will praise your name. Give her strength. Give her family strength. Give her children strength, oh God. We need her in this church. Her family needs her, and she has a great work to do. In Jesus' name, we, let's rejoice in healing with her right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. So what have we just done? We literally did what the Bible told us to do. Now, it may be the case, and I'm claiming it with Nicole and Antonella, I am claiming it, that we get one of those in a moment kind of answers. And when we get that answer, you and I are going to run around this whole church, okay? Me and you. Me. Neither of us are like, you know, big attention. Well, I'm a big attention, but I'm not a big runner. But me and you, when you get that, we're going to run around this church in Jesus' name. And uh, when you get your answer, me and you are going to come up here and dance on the platform, okay? We're going to do it. That's done, okay? That's the plan. But if the Lord chooses to take us through a suffering time, we're not going to be less people of faith, and we're not going to need less presence of God. If anything, we're going to need more faith. Can I have a witness? And we're going to need more presence of God, and we're going to look back and we're going to say, it's going to be worth it all. All right, so faith. Now, the amazing thing, how am I doing on time? Not good. All right, the amazing thing is that Jesus links this two subjects together in a quite astonishing way. After he says that they should speak to the mountain, they've seen his power over the fig tree, he gives them an instruction on faith, and then he says... And whenever you stand praying, I would not, in my own review of Scripture, naturally put together two subjects. Number one, faith. Number two, forgiveness. I would not naturally do that. I would tend to do forgiveness when I am thinking, praying, preaching, counseling in terms of character maturity, and growth. I would not think in terms of forgiveness relative to faith. I would think in terms of Christian stewardship. You see what I'm saying? I would think in terms of once you start getting your life organized, once you start wanting to do better, now you have to forgive people. I would think in terms of character, Christian development, fruit of the Spirit, not necessarily gifts of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, just hang around. We'll talk about them all, okay? So I, I would group it that way. The astonishing thing to me, and this passage here where the Lord just kind of slapped me, is that he groups them differently. He groups your ability to forgive with your ability to speak faith, to live faith, and to receive the miraculous. That's astonishing. Mm. 
We put forgiveness in terms of good stewardship, character growth, and fruit of the Spirit. He places forgiveness with faith, power, miracles, and gifts of the Spirit. Isn't that astonishing? He links the two together. So, we all know what forgiveness is. I have, and uh, you guys have heard it taught. So, rather than giving you a uh, rundown on biblical forgiveness and telling you what Reverend Webster defines forgiveness as and all that, I think you kind of get that. I want to tell you a story, the most powerful story that I personally um, have ever heard in regard to this. And so, let me take you back to a very good year, a very good year, about 1984, 1985, right in there. I was a young teenager, and uh, I, at some point, I, I just, at some point growing up, I, I, I loved preaching. I was a kind of a weird kid. I guess I still am kind of a weirdo, but I was a weird kid. And um, I was the guy who I would kind of daydream or sleep through the worship, and then I'd wake up for the preaching. And I know that's a terrible, nerdy thing to admit, but it's the truth. Ask my mother. She still teases me about it. And I always loved preaching. I had favorite preachers from a very young age, uh, 12, 13, 14. I started collecting preaching tapes. Um, I thought they would help me be a good preacher, but evidently, that plan did not work out so well, and I had all my favorite preachers, and my first favorite preacher was a man, fabulous preacher, uh, by the name of Rex Johnson. Uh, if you've been around for a while, he's preached everything there is to preach. Um, he's preached conferences, he's preached camps, he's preached, you name it, he, he one of the great great preachers of my personal uh, apostolic history. And uh, he was preaching camp meeting that year. I think I was 13. This would have been 84 and maybe, maybe, maybe 85, but, but right in that zone. And he was preaching, uh, and I never forget a message he, pre he preached entitled, uh, Your Grace is Sufficient. And that year, he had had a terrible tragedy in his family. Um, some of you guys have been around. You will remember this story. Uh, he had a beautiful family, beautiful wife, beautiful children. And they were, while he was, uh, I, I don't know, I think he was at the church or something. I don't think he was traveling when this happened. I could be wrong. Um, uh, they, were, they were driving in a car, and a drunk driver hit their car and killed them. He lost if I, if I remember correctly, he lost his whole family. He became instantly single <laughs> where he had lost his children. He lost his wife. And <clears throat> you cannot imagine. You, I mean, I can't imagine. Uh, unless you've lived that, um, you can't imagine. And I think if you've lived it, you still can't imagine because you just go numb. It's like you are outside the human ability to make sense, to cope. You are just deeply profoundly and irrevocably broken at some level. It's like you're shattered. And he that had happened the year before. And that camp meeting that he was preaching was one of the first things that he had preached after that event. He took, he, for a while he didn't preach as is appropriate. And then he, he took some time and then he started preaching again. And, that, that, and he told on, on, I believe it was either Thursday or Friday night, he preached the message your, uh, your grace is sufficient. And of course, as you would imagine, his text was the Apostle Paul where he prayed three times and he asked, God, uh, take this thorn 
in my flesh away. And the Lord would not answer him. And when the Lord finally did answer him, he said basically, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And Brother Rex Johnson preached. And I was, I was just a kid, 13, and I sobbed. I sobbed. I, I didn't know what it was like to have a family, but I knew what it was to love people. I mean, I had brothers and sisters, and I just could not imagine. And when he preached the message, he didn't try to be a good preacher. He didn't, you know, do all the preacher things that sometimes us preachers do to try to rev people up. He simply poured out of his heart and his spirit what his personal testimony was and how he had wanted to die and how he had even contemplated the worst possible solution where he himself would die. And he, 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 he just opened his soul and poured it out and I just sat out there and I wept and I was broken. My favorite preacher telling me the story. And it had an impact on me. <clears throat> it had a profound impact on me. And uh, years passed, years passed and I, became a preacher myself. I went through Bible college and all of that, evangelized, became a pastor myself. And it worked out because of travel arrangements and whatnot that I, I, I saw him again. This is years later. And he, of course, was pastoring in Austin, and uh, he had taken a church there that uh, ran about a, maybe a little over 100 people, and he had been there for many years. And I wanted him to tell me, because I hadn't seen him, and, you know, and I, I, him and I had never been close. Uh, he had just been my favorite preacher. And, uh, I asked him about to tell me a story and how the church grew, and I was just picking his brain. I wanted to hear his story. It's impossible to know somebody if you don't know their stories. You have to know their stories or their choices. Their life doesn't make near as much sense. Do you understand? And so uh, I asked him about how the church grew and how the church had a breakthrough. And he talked about struggles and uh, struggles and struggles. And I asked him, I said, well, when did you have a breakthrough? And he told me, he said, well, I, I was desperate. And he said, I, I went to the church and I prayed and I said, God, I will do anything to reach the people of this city. I will do anything. If you will show me what to do, I will do anything. And he said, I, I prayed and I was broken. I was at the at crying, crying, walking, anointing the pew. Sounds like a pastor. <laughs> Praying. And he said, and, and when I said that, I, I said it, didn't think about it a whole lot, but the spirit checked me. And it's almost though the Lord said to me, uh, did, you, did, did, did I understand you say you would do anything? And he said he felt that check in the spirit. He said, yes, 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 I will do anything. He didn't think about it. Time passed. Church went through. All churches have their seasons. And uh, growth is never a straight line. Successful ministry is never a straight line, whether it's a small group, whether it's a mentoring ministry, whether it's a church. It's always a process. And, uh, he said one day he was in his office at the church, and his secretary called him and said, there's a man here to see you. And um, he said, uh, well, uh, I'll... I'll uh, uh, just give me a few minutes. And he said he forgot about the man. The man was waiting to see him. He forgot about him. And he, uh, he w remembered after a few minutes that there was someone waiting on a scene. And he went out and said, oh, sorry, sorry. And he asked the man. He saw a man standing there. And he was, uh, he was looking at him. And Brother Johnson introduced himself and, and opened the door to his office. And the man came in his office. And, uh, 
man said, I understand that your pastor Rex Johnson, is that correct? He said, yes. He said, I understand that you lost your family uh, years ago. Brother Johnson said, yes. It was known in the community. He said, yes. The man got down on his knees in the office and said, Pastor Johnson, I was the man driving the car that killed your family. And he lowered his head and he began sobbing on the carpet of the pastor's office. And Brother Johnson told me when he saw that man, he said the first feeling in his heart was not, sure, brother, let's hug it out. He said, the first feeling in my heart was, why did they let you out of prison? He said, the first feeling in my heart was, you better get out of my office before I go to prison. He said, and I felt the hand of God touch me, and God whispered in my ear, and said, I thought you said you would do anything to reach this city. He said, when that hit me like a five-gallon bucket of cold water, he said, my heart was changed in a moment. He said, and I got down on my knees in front of that man. He said, and I took his hands. And he said, I was crying so hard I could hardly speak. He said, I said, he said that he told the man, I forgive you. I forgive you. And the man said, will you pastor me? Brother Johnson said, I leaned back and I said, if I, if I, not this God. It's one thing to forgive but you're asking me to pour my soul out every Sunday while I look at the man who killed my family? Not this. He said, and I started shaking my head, I, I that's not fair. I, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. He said, and I felt the Lord touch me again and say, I thought you said you would do anything to reach this city. He said, and so I lowered my head, and I prayed, and I said, God, please no. Please no. I can't pastor the man that killed my little boy. I can't pastor the man that killed my wife, my family. He said, but the spirit would not change in me. And so I opened my eyes, and I said, yes, I will pastor you. And the man who killed his family became a member of his church. With all of the problems of a man who spent his whole life in crime. So, not only is he pastoring the man that killed his family, but he's belling him out of jail. He's helping him go to Alcoholics Anonymous. He's helping him save his marriage. He's counseling him with his wife. And every single time he wants to get out of it, he feels the Spirit say, I thought you said you would do anything to reach this city. He said, and every time I bowed my heart and I said, yes, Lord. He said, the first breakthrough our church had was after I told that man, 
I would pastor him. He said that's when we broke through and they doubled the size of their church from about three or four hundred up to near a thousand. I, I, by circumstance, uh, heard from him recently and he, he, uh, they run over 3,000 now in their church. They have uh, three Sunday morning services. Uh, it's not natural to me to put faith, breakthrough, healing, and miracles right beside forgiveness. But I think it's natural to God. And I would like to say first to myself, and I would like you guys to maybe apply this as you will in your own life. It might be, speaking to myself, that my breakthrough is dependent on my ability to say to somebody, I forgive you. You see, it's not, the blessing is not when they ask. Of course, you have to forgive the person who asks. But the blessing can be had right now when you forgive them in your spirit. And you say, Lord, I do not want that anger, that human emotion that gets mashed up in uh, rage and, uh, dare I say, hatred, ugliness, uh, revenge. I don't want that to be the door between me and the miraculous. And so Jesus says, yep, you can speak to the mountain. Yes, the mountain can be cast in the sea. Great power is available to you. And since we're on the subject, let's talk about forgiveness. When you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Somebody say, forgive him. Somebody say, forgive her. That your Father in, man, Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Our ability to cleanse ourselves of negative feeling toward others is in some supernatural way directly related to our ability to access the miraculous, access revival, access glory. And we need to get this way down in our spirit. We can't shout our way through this. We have to live this. Because with the things that really hurt, one forgiveness is never enough. You have to forgive them every time it comes to your mind. If you want to ask me a question, how do I forgive? It hurts so much. You need to link forgiveness to the pain. And every time you feel the pain, you say, I forgive them. Because forgiveness in some way becomes the bandage that we put over pain in our life. Forgiveness is how we protect the wound. Forgiveness is how we keep corruption out. Forgiveness is how we wash the wound. Forgiveness is how we enable it to begin the process of healing. Forgiveness is not protection for them. Forgiveness is protection for us. for you on a Wednesday night. It's pretty heavy. I want to apply it to myself. Let's all stand together. Would you pray with me right now? Oh, Lord Jesus, you know my heart. I don't want anything in my heart to be a limiting factor between me and your miraculous touch. 
I don't want anything that's in my own story of, of pains and, 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 and wrongs. And we've all got pains and we all have wrongs. We all have, we've all been hurt. We've all had wounds, Lord. We can't glory in those things except in that they give you glory. But Lord Jesus, we can't cultivate those wounds and we can't celebrate those wounds. We have to cover them with forgiveness. And we have to, when we pray, forgive. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Before we're dismissed, will you turn to someone and take their hand, maybe form a a group, two or three, or put a hand on someone's shoulder, whatever works for you. I just want us to pray together. pray for my brothers. I pray for my sisters and faith here today. Lord, there are some tremendous wounds that are in respective lives here tonight. Uh, people that have just, they're walking wounded. They, they put a smile on their face, but they're walking wounded. You are our healer and by your stripes we are healed. And we pray for our friends. We pray for our fellow church members. We pray your strength to them. We pray your mercy would be strong in their heart so that they can wash away the guilt, the rage, the anger, the hate that is the natural result of wounds in our life. Bitterness kills revival in our hearts. We know that. Bitterness stops the miraculous in our hearts. Oh God. Bitterness, bitterness to heaven's miraculous power. Oh God, wash all that out of us today. Heal us, I pray. Cleanse us, I pray. And let us receive, let us receive today of your mighty power. Receive of your spiritual healing. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you for it right now. Oh, let's praise the Lord before we're dismissed. We magnify you today. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.